I am Nimi and I'm Ritu from Adventurize this is Venturing Beyond a podcast where we delve into the career stories of ambitious individuals In this episode we have with us Kabir Segal who is a multi Grammy and Latin Grammy award winner New York Times and Wall Street Journal best selling author of 16 books US Navy veteran and a former JP Morgan banker His writings have appeared in the New York Times, Fortune, Harvard Business Review, Newsweek, Market Watch, CNBC, among other publications. In this episode, we chat about Kabir's journey of building his portfolio career. A portfolio career, for those of who don't know, comprises a variety of roles and job functions rather than one job at a single organization. In this conversation with Kabir, We also talk about creating a personal brand online, the notion of toxic productivity, and what it really takes to balance multiple careers at once. So, hi Kabir, thank you so much for taking the time. My so, pleasure. It's it's always great to uh to meet new folks and and to talk and learn. Yeah, before we get started, I kind of wanted to you know start off by telling you how is it that I even discovered you. and i'm pretty sure that's probably how a lot of people you know discover your uh, brand as well was through one of the the harvard business review podcasts that i very randomly came across a couple of years ago i was just about to graduate and i was in this you know existential dread of what am i going to do after i graduate i'd done a couple of internships and um just the thought of you know being stuck in a 9 to 5 for the rest of my life and probably you know have that monotony was something i was super stressful about at the moment and i randomly came across the podcast of yours where you spoke about you know doing multiple things at once and that's how i discovered the concept of you know portfolio careers as well and i started looking deep into it and started following you as well and uh, fast forward to now that i've graduated we started doing this uh, career exploration podcast and sort of talking to individuals who have you know done multiple things in very like unconventional way something that not a lot of people do and i thought you'd be a great guest i'm really glad you agreed uh, for this as well i kind of wanted to um ask you about your personal journey of sort of creating this personal brand of yours which uh, by the way uh, you've been able to do it really well i checked your you know linkedin your newsletters that go out weekly and all the content you're able to curate around you know the things that you do full time professionally as well so what was that process like and you know how did you get started with it yeah i mean you sort of start where you are um you know you have to kind of live your own version of yourself and that can be difficult you know when you graduate you're often compared to other people and you know where where you are in your class and where you are in your rankings and um at the end of the day you come to the world alone you 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 leave this world alone and it's your life and so you've got to determine what's best for you and you're running a race for yourself i can never be an olympic javelin player but there's a really good one from india right and so like he yeah. he's got to do that right and i've got to do what i've got to do so i think The first thing is this frame of mind is like you got to do what you have to do. And so for me my journey started I graduated from uh from college and uh here here in the US and I I was working on a presidential campaign as a speechwriter. I thought that um he was going to win and I would go work in Washington DC. He lost. I didn't 
really apply to jobs. And so <laughs> like, I, I guess I'll go to grad school. So I went to grad school in, in London. And then my friend and I started working. We started a company in India, actually. And, um, and uh, it was doing okay. It was sort of like a Facebook for India. But, um, you know, we needed to fund it. So I, I got a job. Um, in investment banking. And then I, when I showed up for the job the first day, I cried in a bathroom because I was like, I can't believe I'm selling myself out to, um, to do this. And then of course the credit crisis began and I got stuck uh, in a good way. And I realized I'm here, let me make, the, let me make the, the most of it, let me learn. So then I learned about money, finance, how markets work, I ended up writing several books, I think four or five books while I was banking. Because I thought to myself, one day, I'm going to give away my fancy business card. I'm going to give away my my BlackBerry, just as when a, someone in, the, in a police movie gives away their gun and their badge. Um, but I want to take something with me. And I decided, let me write a book on the history of money. Um, and so I basically, as I was traveling the world for my job, decided to write a book on money and talk to experts. And so that's one of the ways I sort of diversified my career. I went into a traditional career in banking, but I was like, you know, how do I make the most of it for myself? Of course, do everything ethical, support the company. So that's, that's kind of a really brief nutshell. I've done a lot of things as portfolio careers, but I didn't, I didn't actually think about um, that, that piece of work for Harvard Business Review. I wrote it like in 30 minutes or, you know, 45 minutes. And because, you know, some of these pieces you write, you really think about them. That one I wrote just because it was me. It was just like a really simple view of what I do. And it's been, I didn't think it was going to have the reaction that was track a chord. And I've, I've been pleasantly surprised that every so often HBR will republish it. I'll get this wave of people reaching out. And that's why I started um, in earnest a portfolio career and newsletter that I try to feature folks because I think a lot of folks are um, struggling with, with this. And you are an author as well. You've written a bunch of books while you're doing all of these other things. So I was just curious about, you know, how your research process behind writing those books goes. And I know some of them are fictional, some of them are non-fictional. And the book that I mentioned about money was probably a lot more elaborate and needed a lot more research as well. So how, how are you able to, you know, allocate time to it? And um, what does your research process look like? Yeah, so as you mentioned, every, every project, every book is different. The book on money was a, was a killer. It's a heavy research book. And that's the one I was writing while I was working in, at an investment bank. And it was crazy because I would, you know, come to work and I would then, my office was like a few blocks from the New York Public Library. So during lunch, I would go to the New York Public Library and read and like check out books. And, and, and then I would come back to work and then I would come home and I, I would write. I didn't, I didn't socialize a lot. I was just so committed to <clears throat> the pain of writing uh, because it's sort of you versus the page. That's one thing I really like about writing is it's you and yourself. So you have to be sort of self-motivated to do it. The flip side is you don't have to, to deal with a lot of other people, meaning like, you know, a lot of people can be flaky or it, you don't have to deal with you know, issues or drama with other folks. It's just you and yourself. So that book took me like three or four years to research and write. I traveled to, you know, dozens of countries while I was banking. And every time I would go on a trip, I would like meet with a local economist or meet with a, I was in Sri Lanka actually, 
and I met with for work and I you know took some time to meet with the local like numismatist the coin collector who, who like, runs the Sri Lanka coin collecting club and um, he's also a physicist so we had a great chat and I put that in the book and I went to I was in India and I, I met with the Indian New Delhi coin collecting society and and you know that's that's how the research process began you sort of start with where you are and um, I was also trying to dramatize money. You know, reading a book about the history of money might be kind of dry, but if you could follow me along on these adventures throughout the world, it makes it more interesting and readable. And so that's why I was also, I was like, well, what do I have that's, you know, an advantage? Well, I'm, I'm getting sort of paid to travel around the world and like talk. I was meeting big companies for my day job, but while I'm here, why don't I go to the Economic History Museum of, of Thailand or the Philippines or something? So that's how that book came across. I, I would be remiss if I didn't say I've written several children's books with my mother, um, one of which is Threat of Love, Celebration of Rocky. Um, so happy Rocky to everyone out there who celebrates. And those books do really well because I think there's a, a community, a diaspora of Indian families looking to share about Indian traditions and holidays with their kids. And I think we've built my mom and I, through you know, eight children's books, we've really built a niche of these are kind of like, I think, well-illustrated, hopefully well-told stories um, that parents can just feel safe about teaching their kids about Indian traditions. And there's actually not that many in the West that teach about these holidays. So that's, those books are easier to write. Um, they take, you know, a month or two to write, or sometimes longer. They take years to illustrate. Um, and it's, it's the opposite with, um, with my nonfiction, it takes a long time to write um, and not as long to publish. Yeah, and kind of wanted to touch upon what you said in the beginning about, you know, you didn't socialize a lot and you're like, you're really into the process of writing. And I'm not going to ask you about, you know, productivity and time management, because I know you've put a lot of content about that out there and you probably get asked that a lot. But I kind of wanted to ask you about, you know, your thoughts on where a lot of people online these days are talking about toxic productivity and the this culture of side hustling and you have to have something beside your uh, full-time job. And um, with social media and content creation, that's become more easier than ever and anyone can do it. Uh, on the other side, you know, it's a great way to create your personal brand and sort of be employable in the future as well and learn other skills too. So I just wanted to ask you about your thoughts on, you know, the whole concept of toxic productivity versus, you know, hustling hard and uh, in the early years of your career. What do, what do you think about it? I, I'm sort of careful to, to say what other people should do. I mean, everyone needs to do what works on themselves. Of course. I just, I, I just know that um, for me, it's, you know, how do you how do you define your goals? How do you define success? Prosperity for me, for a lot of people, is being able to use that one currency we have a limited amount of time for, and that's time, right? So we have a set amount of time on this earth, and what do you do with it? Um, are you at your job? Some people really love working at their nine to five job. They, they thrive on office politics and climbing the, um, the, the, the ladder. Good for them. They should do that. In fact, a lot of the people we admire, the CEOs of these big companies, they're the folks that actually enjoy the office politics and they thrive on the 40 hour work weeks. <laughs> like some people just love that stuff. Good. Um, and so if you're one of those people that just love that, do it, you know, but some folks, for me, it's like, how do you, 
how do you get to a point where you can have, you can have you can spend your free time how you want to do it and that's like for me it'd be like writing and of course making music and um how do you set up your life in that way and so if, you're, if that's your goal and you don't have the financial means to do it you have to work in a way to get yourself there um there's been some great books about just whatever you do if you work at a company if you work um on a team do really well at it because if you do really well at it then your manager your colleagues will then sort of have faith in you and then if you have faith they have faith in it you can start to ask for things like can i get a day off or can i work from from, from home i mean everyone's working from home you, you turn your career capital into freedom and then for that freedom you can build opportunities for yourself in the future like building passive income like you know as you're working a job can you invest in like dividend stocks so that over a few years you you make the equivalent of one of your paychecks through dividend stocks and you know over the course of several years you can start to build a cash flow that is not reliant on a job and so what i've done is that been able to to create you know content um music books that are sources of passive income right that like i don't have to depend on um a nine to five as much because i have passive income coming in and that's what anyone can do. I mean, if, if they have a predisposition to write and integrate content, you don't have to, you can always hire people to write for you. Um, but that's one thing, you gotta do what you gotta do. Prosperity is sort of, is um, for me, is how do you get to spend your free time, how you wanna spend your free time? And then how do you um, develop an expertise in something or get really good at something in your professional job so that you can kind of trade that capital that you developed into some amount of freedom for you to pursue pursue what you really want to do. And kind of wanted to touch upon something you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation. You know, you're starting to write the book and like traveling around the world. I was just wondering, is this something that happened during like the very early years of your career in the corporate world? Or did you give yourself time to do that nine to five really well for a few years and then, you know, ventured out into other things? I mean, both. I've always, always had something going, you know, so like it's, <laughs> It's just how I'm wired. Um, I always have a book I'm writing. I always have a project I'm working on. Um, and I think part of that was, you know, my my parents, my father worked in business. And I always thought I wanted to be like the CEO of a big company. And, and it was like, I loved the, the outcome of it, but I didn't love the, what it takes to get there. If that makes sense. And like, mm-hmm. and I, in high school yeah. and college, I, I hung out with a lot of artists and I was in music and that was like really fun but I was like how do I actually make a career out of making music mm-hmm. and writing it's actually di- pretty pretty difficult actually a lot of the folks maybe it's maybe I should have done that full-time who knows but like the career I took was like taking the business world the stability of the business world can bring and then leveraging that to support my creative endeavors and when I'm long gone you know I feel like you know people can still experience my my art and my my creative legacy so my creative legacy is actually more is actually quite important to me um and a lot of artists it's like what you leave behind right so you can have a conversation with mark twain or or um any great writer because they've, they've left behind this body of work and it's just like you know hey i want to know what mark twain was thinking about okay here it is or on a, I want to know what Rubinder and Tagore was thinking about. You can, he's as contemporary as he is today as he was then, but no one really knows yeah. who's the, 
who is the banker in, in Tagore's time? No one really remembers. Not to say that that's important, mm -hmm. but the creative legacy, the art, which you leave behind is um, what makes you speak to the ages. Right, yeah. And I kind of wanted to shift gears towards, um, you know, your current book, uh, Carry On, where um, I was reading uh, some blogs about it, and um, I realized that there's a big part on mentorship in your books as well. So the venture that we are working on right now is also about career-related mentorship opportunities and trying to bridge that gap, um, uh, because a lot of these things are really restricted to the kind of university you go to, the kind of first job you get, and the kind of network that you're already surrounded with. So I, I was glad to see that you have a lot of things written and surrounding mentorship too. So I was wondering uh, in your personal life as well, uh, being in these multiple professions that you have, did you have any you know, particular mentors? And if you did, how did you go about finding them? And what was your general experience like? Yes, I have had mentors many, uh, in fact. And I think it also comes from maybe an Indian tradition. My parents came uh, many years ago from India to the U.S., and I think there's that culture in an in Indian culture about really respecting elders, teachers, gurus, and learning from them, which may not be as apparent, perhaps in the U.S. Um, I've been blessed, been very blessed. Um, one of my mentors is my godfather, Andrew Young, who was the ambassador to the United Nations, mayor of Atlanta, uh, congressman, <clears throat> civil rights legend, Mark, uh, Mark March with Dr. Martin Luther King. He also worked for my father for several years after he was mayor. And um, I, as a boy, uh, got to travel the world with Ambassador Young, Uncle Andy, and imagine having someone who was so pivotal to American history, to world history as your godfather. So I was blessed. Uh, but what did I do with it? Um, you know, we all, we all have sort of a deck of cards that were given and dealt at life at birth. But I, I read a book with him to try to sort of share, share the abundance um, that he had given me with other people. And his, his advice and mentorship is really, again, to start with where you are. Mentors are good because they're like an outer voice that you need to chat with, to run, run things by. It's often good. And people might say, oh, I don't have a famous mentor. You don't need one. You just need someone to speak with. And whether it's a teacher, a parent, or a friend, whatever it is, someone who's younger than you um, who can mentor you. And so it's also important what you do for mentors. I would often go to Uncle Andy's house and help him with, you know, when I was a teenager, help him with all this technology that he was having uh, issues with. And we, then we would talk for several hours about all kinds of you know, theologians and Mahatma Gandhi and so forth. So you can... Um, to find a mentor. I just, and it, you don't have to say, oh, will you be my mentor? Just ask them some questions about what you're going through. And you'll be surprised when you hear something not from your parents, it'll have a different effect on you than if your parents said the same thing to you. Um, just, just how it is. And I've had a lot of, you know, music mentors and I try to try to be there for folks myself when I'm asked to speak at schools or events. I try to make time for, for almost everyone to say, all right, how do we pass on what we've been given? Um, so that's that's my take on that. And, and you mentioned Carry On. Carry On's a book um, I wrote with um, with Congressman John Lewis, also from Atlanta, civil rights legend, and um, he speaks extensively on mentorship. His mentor was Dr. Martin Luther King, um, and I think um, you know it's what a great mentor to have had. Um, and the the 
message there from John Lewis, again, is to carry on and not to lose hope. And that as much as you're struggling with something, people have probably gone through what you've gone through. It may seem like you're going through something um, that's unique to you. I'm not trying to minimize your problems or issues, but like just talking it out with someone is so very helpful. How would you recommend someone to find mentors? Like what approach has worked for you the best? I do think actually that one of the most, one of the things I try to do, I mean, I was so successful at edit, but is, <clears throat> and what it builds mentors, it builds friendships at last. It's asking folks, what can you do for them? How may I be of service? Um, and mm -hmm. the reason I say that is that if I go on my Instagram and my DMs, like 99% of people are like, can you do this for me? Can you post this? Can you do this? Can you do that? And it's like, okay. But if someone's like, hey, can you, uh, I want to do this for you. It changes the psychology. So if you actually are just sort of leading with generosity and like being kind to people mm -hmm. and giving, you're going to break through um, and build incredible relationships. Um, and that's not how people are often wired evolutionarily <laughs> because people want to benefit themselves, but actually benefit yourself by helping people, featuring people, doing things. Like this podcast is a great example of being of service to your community. Um, and you're building a great professional Rolodex as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing from like a early in career, younger person just venturing out into the workforce is that when you think that you haven't done as much as the other person or don't have as many professional experiences, so to speak, is always also sort of intimidating, thinking that I probably don't have as much value add. But I think once you start those kinds of conversations and really start putting yourself out there, there's always something you can provide as well. I think one really interesting example was like through this podcast, we were able to connect different guests that we had featured because they thought that, uh, you know, they were in sync with what they were interested in. And it was something definitely we were able to do. Um, and not that, you know, it doesn't always have to be from your personal experience, but it can also be just something of value that you can give as well. And thinking about, you know, just uh, creating the online brand, if you're comfortable, like what are the things that have worked the best for you? And I'm sure you've done a lot of trial and error in terms of, you know, building your online brand, the books you've written, and also your social media brand as well, like your LinkedIn, you keep uh, pretty consistent with posting on LinkedIn. What are the things that have like worked for you? And what is it that you probably uh, would not recommend? Yeah, I think, I mean, a brand, what is a brand? A brand is essentially like a, like a promise um, in that when someone sees your name or, or identity or logo, they know what they're getting. For me, I think one of the struggles I've had is I do so many things. It's like, how do you actually build a brand about one thing? Because mm -hmm. one day I can put out, I'm putting out, I mean, I put out so much music um, or I'm writing or I'm writing an article. So how do you actually, people will say, pick a niche. That might be easy for some people. Some mm -hmm. people may really be into wellness or, and they always say the three best niches to be in are like health, wealth, and relationships, because there's always an evergreen amount of demand for learning about these three areas. Um I sort of, when I wrote that, when I wrote that HBR piece, it was years later when I started like the concept of portfolio career, because I started realizing right away, like <clears throat> it is me to write about many things. And so why don't I just embrace that and say, you know what, like I do a lot of things. Everyone says specialize, you know, do what you are good at, but actually it's finding the connections between multiple things is what I'm, what I think I'm okay at. And so I started writing about that. And so I 
portfolio career, Seven Point Sunday are all about sort of looking at the totality of life, looking at people who thrive on doing multiple things. Um, I try not to overdo it. I try not to post too much, um, one or twice, once or twice a week um, on, um, on LinkedIn. That's that. And, and I think also email marketing is probably the most effective these days because, you know, with social, social media marketing has, it's okay, but you have to really pay to get yourself featured now on these um, portals because mm -hmm. the, the organic reach of a lot of the platforms have gone, really gone down. And so how do you consistently drive traffic to something that you want to see is through email. You know, email marketing is probably, funnel marketing is probably the, <clears throat> the best way to drive traffic and conversions to something. So actually I'm most focused on my email uh, marketing email list. I recommend sort of building an email list as a, as a first and foremost way to build a brand and then also engage with that list regularly. You got to have a list. It's no point unless you're writing them regularly. I've created Seven Point Sunday, which is like every Sunday you get just a few little nuggets. It's all about them, not me. Like how how can I make your life better? And it, it that's the thing. If, if and then people actually want to read this, I actually want to read this. I want to read the financial advice. I want to read it. How do I improve my productivity? And then you build this. You're sure solving other people's problems at, at a profit. And that's how I think about my social media is I try to put out content that's helpful to other people. That makes sense. So I know we're like running out of time. So really quickly, I have last two questions. I wanted to ask you, um, you know, like the newsletter that you put out, you talk to so many people about their portfolio careers at this point, right? And I'm sure there must be some pattern as to how these individuals function and, you know, just generally how they work. So what have you been your like biggest takeaways about building one's portfolio career? One thing I ask is to structure their days. How do you structure your days? Like walk mm -hmm. through a typical day. And there's a lot of portfolio careers wake up early, which I've, <laughs> which I found is interesting. <laughs> and they all sort of say that it's important to have balance between personal time and family time. So it's interesting to see there's a whole, you know, maxim. If you want something done, give it to a busy person um, because they're going to find out how to do something in the fewest amount of the least amount of time as possible because they have to, you know, there's only so much time. And so waking up early, making sure you have personal time and also being um, selective about what you share with folks, because if you have a lot going on and you're working at a day job um, and you start sharing about what you have going on, people may not think you're serious at your job. They may be jealous there's all kinds of things because they're comparing themselves to you. I think that's strategically or tactically really important is to like, when you're, when you're doing your job, focus on your job and don't like invite scrutiny by talking about everything else. I mean, of course the Google search can reveal stuff, but it's different from what you sort of like promoting yourself on those extracurricular stuff. Love that. That's really good advice. Um, do you have any book recommendations or, you know, just general resources that have helped you? You know, so, something that's pretty interesting. I, um, well, yeah, to answer your question, there's a book, um, While Real Artists Don't Starve by Jeff Goins, who's, mm -hmm. um, it's a good book, I think, about how artists, many artists have day jobs. And like uh, Charles Ives, I think was, he was a great composer. He was an insurance salesman or T.S. Eliot, the great poet. He was a banker. Um, so again, we know about their creative legacy. Um, so that's a book I would recommend. I would recommend, um, 
I should read more. <laughs> one of the things that one of the things about about um, generating so much content is that I'm always surprised when people read my content because I'm so busy creating it. And mm-hmm. you know, I think like when you think about creators and consumers, like there's a small percentage of people who are actually creating stuff. Most people are consuming it. If you look at like YouTube, I think like less than one percent of people create all the content. Everyone else is sort of scrolling through it. So in that sense, um, I, I, I've just started going on a on a um, reading binge again. I just finished a book called "The Courage to Be Disliked." The courage to be disliked. Everyone's so obsessed about like making sure people like them. How many likes can you get? But this is based on Adlerian psychology, and um, and basically, it's like if you have the courage to be disliked then you're sort of free from other people's expectations of you. Um, and you're not living your life for them. You're living your life for yourself. It's not to say you're being like mean or creating mischief. You're just like, you know, for every 10 people that you meet, one person's really not going to like you. Three people will like you and like the rest won't even really know or be neutral. So are you going to focus on the person who doesn't like you? Or are you going to just focus on the people who do and like move on with your life? So that's one thing I'm kind of learning about is this, is this, philosophy of Adler and um, Ichiro who the Japanese guy who helped write the book about it yeah no definitely that's definitely a good skill to learn in this age when you know if you want to put yourself out there especially on social media that's one thing you've got to be okay with because anyone can say anything to you and you give them that liberty as well so I'll definitely check that book out just the last thing do you have any announcements promotions anything you'd like to share with our audience yeah, I mean, I have my first um, pop album coming out, EP. It's called Threshold. It's exciting because I've been making so much music and I was doing a lot of jazz and classical music. And I was, because of the pandemic, there's not as many recording sessions with you know musicians going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend this time and just create my own tracks. You know, as a producer, you're always like supporting, again, what can you do for someone else? How can I support artists? So... I finally had the time and space to say, you know, Kabir, I'm going to actually make some tracks under my name and uh, try to collaborate with some great artists. So that's what I've done. The album's called Threshold. It's an EP of four songs. You'll be able to find it on um, also all, you know, streaming platforms. I hope you enjoy the music. Um, and uh, it was a really fun new direction for me, one that I hope to keep on, keep on uh, doing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kabir. And really appreciate you taking time out for this. Thanks so much. All my best. Take care.